Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week, if you are American, you are going to be celebrating Independence Day this week, the 4th of July. And I thought, well, who better to celebrate the 4th of July than with a member of the American band? Hopefully you get the, uh, the hint now. That is Don Brewer, drummer for Grand Funk Railroad. Now, as everyone pretty much knows, Grand Funk Railroad were one of the biggest bands of the 70s. Sold millions of records, put out a ton of records. Mark, Farner, Mel, Don, these guys were just forces to be reckoned with back then, coming out of Flint, Michigan. Well, uh, they pretty much stopped making music around the early 80s, but the band is still out there, although, as pretty much everyone knows, Mark Farner's off doing his own thing. We talk about that a little bit in here. I didn't want to bug him about it, you know? I'm sure Don gets asked that kind of stuff all the time. Uh, But he lays out pretty clearly where everything stands today. Our old friend Max Carl, former guest, is their lead singer, and Bruce Kulick is their guitar player, if you didn't already know. So uh, things are going along, you know? We talk about really... You know, do Grand Funk get the respect they deserve for being one of the biggest bands ever, and especially of the 70s? You know, the critics never really loved them. Do they belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Why do they not have hits that are as ubiquitous as something like Hotel California? You know, do they get the credit they deserve? So Don and I discuss a lot of that in here. Uh, also, we discuss what it was like working with producers like Todd Rundgren, who produced this song and the album that it came from. They also worked with Frank Zappa. That would have been nuts. So we learn a little bit about that. And then we learn, you know, what it was like coming out of Flint at that time and who some of the artists were that they were, you know, competing with, palling around with, playing with, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I thought this would be a really fun conversation. I'm really glad that Don agreed to talk to me. These guys are legends. Um, I also want to thank some contributions from our friend Brad Page from the I'm in love with that pot with that song podcast and former guest Phil Thornalley um, who contributed because they're both really big Todd fans. I got to say once again had a cold and so you're going to have to forgive me. I don't know why I get colds all the time. Uh, you're going to have to forgive me because there's a little bit of sniffling, some grunting, some uh, you know, just some noises and they're me trying not to just cough and sneeze and dribble all over Don. Anyway, uh, this was a great conversation. Huge thanks to Annie Layton for helping me set it up. He called me from his home in Florida, and I don't remember where exactly that is. Well, thanks uh, for doing this with me. I A couple years ago, I had Max Carl on here. And, oh, there uh, you go. He's just about the nicest man in the world. And I wondered what it was. What's your, what's your favorite thing about working with Max Carl? Well, like you said, he's, he's probably one of the nicest guys in the world. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, um, you know, I have a, a great respect for Max. You know, when uh, when we were looking for uh, a guy to uh, to fill uh, Mark Farner's shoes, you know, I, I was looking for a guy that could do the the R and B thing, you know, uh-huh. and to do the rock thing, and uh, and I came across Max. Uh, through a friend of mine who worked for PV back in the days when PV was making drums, you know, the, uh, uh-huh. the electronic company and I uh, got, you know, Max's phone number and, you know, we just, you know, we, we hit it off and it, it just took off right after that. And, uh, you know, Max is probably one of the last blue eyed soul singers uh-huh. on the planet. That's, the, that's right. the way I like to say it, you know, and, and he's just a perfect fit for grandfather. Yeah, he sure is. He's such a nice guy. We, I'm still waiting for you guys to come to Denver. Because uh, he's thankful, I think he might put me on the list. We're gonna, you know, exchange handshakes and hugs at the show. And there I you just, go. Uh, yeah, you got something on your website saying that there might be a date later this year, but it's to be announced. So I'm just yeah, I'm just I, I, we, uh, there's a lot of dates that we can't announce, but yes, I think uh, toward the end of August uh, we're, we're doing a show out there. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Hope so. And then Bruce, I mean, uh, here's another guy with a long pedigree from long before Grand Funk. How did Bruce come into the picture? Bruce Kulik, well, again, I say. yeah, Bruce Kulik. Yeah, we yeah. were, uh, you know, we, as, as I said, we were looking to reform the band. This was back in uh, going into the year 2000. Uh, Mark Farner left the band in '98. Uh, Mel and I were looking to uh, uh, to figure out what what our next step was, you know. And we we figured if we could get, you know, the, the right guys, we would go out on the road, you know. So I started, you know, banging my head on uh, guitar players, and uh, Bruce came to mind because I. I had played with the Silver Bullet Band back in the 80s uh, on a couple of tours. And right. Bruce, I, I crossed paths with Bruce Kulick. Bruce was playing for Michael Bolton back in those days. Oh, right. And Michael Bolton, 
and Michael Bolton was the opening act on a Bob Seger tour. And so uh, that's where I first met Bruce. And so I, I reached out to Bruce at the time, uh, this was in 2000, uh, just to see what he was doing. I, I think he was uh, working on a band called Union mm. at the time. And I, I asked him if he'd be interested in doing a project with uh, myself and Mel and Max Carl. And of course, you know, he said, well, yeah, I, <laughs> I would love to yeah. look at that. So so he we flew him out to uh, Michigan and, uh, you know, did some work with him. And, you know, again, it, it just it just worked. It was uh, it, it was a no brainer. Uh, and we we just plugged it in, and uh, there you there you go. Yeah, uh, you guys are celebrating fifty years this year. Am I right? I can't believe it, but yes, it is fifty years. <laughs> I can't so, believe it either. And that, <laughs> yeah, not not only not only is it fifty years for the for that band, you know, it, it's uh, it's twenty uh, coming up on twenty years. It's nineteen years for this band. <laughs> that oh my we've been, gosh! <laughs> yeah. Oh my so, gosh! Uh, Who would have ever yeah, guessed? I mean, it's uh, so fifty years of funk. Uh, yeah, I never would have dreamed it back when I was 19 years old that uh, here I'd be, uh, I'd still be touring and, and doing doing what I love. You know, I started the band in the basement of my house in uh, 5028 Fairchild Street, Sports Creek, Michigan. I still remember, uh, and it was called it was called the Red Devils, and then uh, later it became the Jazz Masters, and then later it became the Pack, uh, and Terry Knight in the Pack, and later it became Grand Funk Railroad. So uh, pretty amazing. That's amazing. You know what I didn't realize until getting ready to talk to you is that you you're out. So th the three main probably Detroit or Michigan bands in rock history are Grand Funk, Iggy and the Stooges and the MC5. And all three of you put out your first albums in 1969. And I hadn't pieced that together before. Were you got were you friendly with them? Did you were you guys ever crossing paths, playing with each other, hanging out, anything like that? Yeah, not really hanging out. We did cross paths a, a, a few times. We used to play the, uh, the Grandy Ballroom, which was a you know kind of a hippie ballroom place in in Detroit, you know, and uh, and we would cross paths with those guys. But we we were you know we were kind of the outcasts, you know, as yeah. the pack, uh, and then later Grand Funk Railroad. We were kind of an outcast. Uh, the, all of the all of the so called in bands were in Detroit and Ann Arbor, you know, and we were we were from Flint. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and even when we became Grand Funk Railroad, you know, for the first couple of years, it was like, oh, that's that band from Flint, you know. Mm. <laughs> so really, uh, yeah, we we were kind of yeah, we were on the outskirts, you know, and uh, and until we really made it big, uh, it was funny, you know. Once once we made it big and we were like, you know, huge around the world, it was all of a sudden, oh, they're from Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wondered about that. I mean, I didn't want to, I knew you were from Flint. I didn't want to lump you in with those guys, but everybody's so close and the rock world in Michigan at that time, I'm guessing, isn't that big. And so well, I was we, wondering you know, if we would you, cross, you know, okay. Yeah, we would cross paths with them. You know, we, we would do, we would do shows at certain places, you know, where, where all of these different bands were on, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, we were actually closer with, um, uh, the Frost, uh, oh. which was formerly the Bossman, you know, okay. Dick Wagner, you know, that, yeah. that, that guy, you know, cause, cause he was, yeah. he was, he was not really a Detroit guy either. He was from Saginaw. Right. Uh, and so he was more in our, in our camp, you know? And so we were, you know, we would cross paths playing all around the state, you know, Traverse city and sure. Midland and Lansing and, you know, all of these other places around the state, not necessarily Detroit, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, what do you think being from Flint specifically has meant to you guys as a band, especially now? I mean, I mean, you know this Flint, Flint has had some hard times. You see enough Tough Michael times. Moore movies or you hear enough about the water and the news and uh, it just sounds horrible. I mean, no offense <laughs> to the great people of Flint, but you know what I mean? It's you never hear of good news. It's so sad. No. No, and and it's uh, it's funny. Uh, it has one of the highest uh, per capita crime rates and murder yeah. rates in the country. You know, right right up there with Oakland, California. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just uh, yeah, it, it's pretty. Uh, it's a tough town. You know, I I grew up right right outside. And as I said, Swartz Creek, Michigan, was a little little farming community, really outside of uh, of Flint. You know, so I I didn't have that much. Uh, to do with Flint, but yes, it, it, it was always a tough town. It was a factory town. Everybody's dad uh, worked in the factory. You know, yeah. I mean, it was it was one of you know one of those kind of things. It's just kind of like I think it really did help contribute to uh, you know the edginess of our music. Though I, I really sure, think man. it, yeah, it contributed to that. And I I think you know it, it kind of played well for us 
for us being comrades with one another mm. uh, as being the outcast band, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we, we're kind of like, oh, mm. oh, okay, so we're that band from Flint. Oh, okay, you know, but that made us <laughs> even stronger about, you know, okay, well, we'll show you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah. was wondering about that because you, I mean, you guys were. 10 times more successful than those other two bands. However, than those other bands, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but Iggy's yeah. in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the MC5 <laughs> are nominated sometimes. Can, can you and, believe that? <laughs> well, and Grand Funk can't get a break. Why? What's the deal? Well, you know, I mean, yeah, it's true. You know, it, and I was just listening last night uh, to Joe Cocker, and I'm going, you know, why mm. is Joe Cocker not in the Hall of Fame? I, I mean, you know, it, it makes no sense to me. So, I know. Um, yeah. I know. Do you ever, I mean, do you... Do you have any kind of bitterness? I whatever it seems like the artists themselves don't really care, but when their fans bring it up so much, it's kind of like, yeah, why not us? You know, and then when it happens, it's a really nice thing. Do you ever think about it? Does it bother you or anything? It doesn't really bother me. Okay. You know, I mean, it's it, it's like you know, yes, you wonder. You know, yeah. if when you see the the other groups that are in there and the groups that keep being nominated, and then you go. And why are they not, you know, yeah. picking Grand Funk Railroad? What What's the reason? What's yeah. the reason? <laughs> I know it's true. I yeah. mean, you the go- same thing. Same way with Joe Cocker. Same yeah. thing with Yes. And, yes. You know, I'm going. I'm going. You know, I listen to some of the, the you know, the Yes stuff, and I go, and they're not in the Rock and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame, but yeah, uh, is it Blondie? Is Blondie is Blondie, Blondie in? I yeah, think? Blondie's in. And, yeah. Yeah, and, you, and I go, and Blondie is in. Right. I mean, uh, are you kidding? <laughs> I know, I know, it's so true. I mean, Yes did finally get in, but it was, that should have been a no-brainer. I mean, they are the quintessential progress. This all comes back, if you ask me, to Rolling Stone magazine and them trying to kind of set the tone for what's cool and what isn't, and I hate that. Well, it's, I, yes, it's rock, the rock snob thing, you know, and, yes. and, and we were never part of the rock snob thing, and I think that's, and therein lies the problem, you know, and yeah. uh, that's my theory, is that, you know, they, the Rolling Stone hated Terry Knight and hated, uh, hated Grand mm. Funk, and they, you know, and that was, and so there, there you go, and they yeah. control the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, enough said. <laughs> yeah. It's, it it yeah. just, it baffles my mind why certain bands get to be labeled cool and some don't, and you guys were like one of the biggest bands of the 70s. You know, and yet not, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. You know, something else I was thinking about for I and I'm I'm young. I'm I'm almost 46. So I wasn't there at the height of Grand Funk mania and everything. But I don't I feel like there's not as many Grand Funk songs still being played regularly on classic rock radio as maybe there should be. Were you having maybe I'm completely wrong on that. Did you were you having challenges even being heard on the radio or were you guys doing okay? I mean you sold well, millions when you, of when records. When you say when you say were, what do you mean were? I mean, you know, I, I back, back in the day we had no problem being, you know, being played okay. on FM radio, especially okay. FM underground radio. And then when we became more of a, a pop format, you know, as radio as FM radio changed, you know, we had, we had no problem uh, getting airplay. I agree with you though when I listen to satellite radio, I don't think that uh, Grand Funk Railroad is very well represented, you know. That's I mean, what uh, I mean, yes. Uh, yeah. I hear, I hear locomotion. I hear some kind of wonderful. I hear I knew Captain Closer to Home. I hear We're an American Band. I do not hear hardly ever. Every now and then, you might hear rock and roll soul. You might hear foot stomping music. You might, mm-hmm. but no, when they go into the deep tracks and the classic vinyl and all that stuff, and they're not picking up the the stuff from Grand Funk Railroad that that made us, you know, the one of the biggest bands in the world back in you know 1969 to 1972, yeah. uh, and they're not playing any of that stuff. I, yeah, I, I don't think it's well represented at all. No. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. I wondered why, why doesn't Grand Funk have its version of a Hotel California? I mean, there's plenty of excellent songs to choose from. Why, you know, why do we not hear them as often as we might other bands? Well, I, it's the, uh, you know, it's the homogenization, uh, homogenization of radio when, when all of the, the uh, uh, all of the, FM stations uh, all uh, became controlled by all of the consultants, you know, yeah. and the consultants were con- dictating, you know, f- what was going to be played. And it was, you know, a lot of it was payola, a lot of it was, you know, th- this and that and the other thing. And that continued and has continued now into satellite radio, I think, uh, and uh, and uh, XM and uh, Sirius and all that stuff. And and what you hear on those stations is is again, it's just uh, it's just yeah. bean counters testing music. 
and there and nobody has a real soul or anything. You know, you know. You, t- tell me the last time you heard something by Frank Zappa. Oh, yeah. never. I mean, oh, never. You know, come no, on. Never. You know, and know. Frank Zappa was was huge back in the FM radio days. Yeah. You know, and and, yeah. and and so I don't. You know, yes, it's it's just. It, you, what we, what we get fed is the milk toast. You yeah, know, it's right. just yeah, it's it, right. it's a it's a shame. It really, is. really, it is. Is. that's my opinion. I sound old, you know, saying that kind of stuff, but it's true. <laughs> I agree with you. I totally agree with you. That's why I'm, yeah. I ask because I'm kind of baffled by it myself. Um, yeah. I actually wanted to, now Zappa. We're going to talk about here in a minute, but I actually wanted to ask you about some of my favorite. Uh, Grand Funk songs that are a little different or a little outside the, you know, they're not on the hits package. I wonder, I wanted to know when Mark brought in the song, All the Girls in the World Beware, with the line, Dark Brown Stains in My Underwear. Did you, <laughs> did you laugh? Did you think, yeah, this is just in keeping with our everyman image? that lyric came to the table yeah it was it's pretty out there you know and, and you know, yes we were we weren't we, we certainly weren't trying to be serious you know it was uh-huh. yeah it was it was just like you know you know why not you know be, yeah. you know be as silly as you want to be it's fine uh-huh. Right. I love that song, but that is the ballsiest set of lyrics. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got dark brown stains in my underwear. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love that song. And then, you know, kind of on the other side, uh, your last album, What Is Funk? I, another song of yours that I love is I'm So True. out with that little like Casio keyboard bloop 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 kind of sound that is the furthest thing from anything Grand Funk would ever have put out before that and I wondered if when you hear 
your songs interpreted that way by the producer and I'm suddenly blanking on who the producer was. Did you, uh, do, do you like that? Is it like, well, hey, yeah, but we're it, in... yeah, Jimmy Einer. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's you know, it. we were, we were experimenting, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, when, especially when we got to the, the, fi those final albums that we did, uh, uh, you know, we were really trying to find out where we were going. I mean, there was, there was so much turmoil in the band, you know, and nobody was getting along, you know, and, uh, and we were kind of like, and disco music was around, you know, and it was, it was just like, uh, nobody wanted to hear, you know, that the hard rock kind of stuff that we were doing before. And so we were kind of really trying to figure out where, where we were going. And, uh, and it was very difficult. So, yeah. so a lot of it, we just kind of, you know, threw, you know, fate to the wind and what, sure. whatever, whatever anybody felt like, you know, uh -huh. just, let's go that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why yeah. was that your last album? That's not, that's, that album's great. And it's, you know, almost, it's over 35 years old. Did you, uh, just now, which, decide... which one are you talking about? You're talking about uh, what is uh, funk? Good thing and good plan. With, oh, well, well, what's funk? Yeah, I and mean, was funk, that yeah. the last one? That would that would have been in so. the early '80s, right? Yeah, I is think that that's the, the early last 80s? one. With, right? Yeah, '83. I think and that's the last with, one. With, uh, with, with Dennis Bellinger, right? You know, again, we had uh, we'd gotten back together, and we planned on having Mel back with us, and and Mel, you know, just refused to go back out on the road, and he didn't mm -hmm. want anything to do with. Uh, well, getting back, uh, getting back with uh, <clears throat> mm -hmm. somebody else in the band, right? And right. Uh, yeah, so so it was it was really uh, a struggling kind of a time for us, you know, in that mm -hmm. uh, early '80s, uh, trying to find again wh which way are we going? Uh, we were a '70s band, you know, and we crossed over into the '80s into the MTV generation, and mm -hmm. we were we just weren't there. We weren't part of it. So you know, we uh, again, it, it was just. Uh, it just wasn't the right time, and uh, and things weren't that pleasant yeah. uh, in the band. And again, we ju we just couldn't get through it. Okay. So um, okay. that's when it broke up again. Yeah. yeah. Tim Cashin, I should say, the other new member of the band, mm -hmm. Bruce, Max, do they ever seem itchy to want to write and record new music? Are you guys just really content, settled in to sort of, we're going to... We're going to play the hits. That's what the fans really want. No one's buying music these days anyway. Uh, well, where do you stand you know, that, on that's, this? That's part of it. you know. And over, and over uh, But I do say that over the course of the past uh, 19 years, we've had a lot of new stuff in the band. You know, Max and I have written together. Tim and, uh, Tim and Max have written together. Bruce has come up with some stuff, you know. But, you know, uh, most of the time, you know, Tim, Tim does a, um, uh, almost a yearly, uh, uh, what's called beach music uh, in, uh, in the North Carolina area, you know, which is kind of, it's a throwback to old soul music, you know. Uh, so he does a record like that. Max is always doing projects on his own. And, yeah. and we've had, you know, and I can't, countless songs that we've worked in and out of the show okay. uh, over the course of the past 19 years, you know. So, okay. uh, yeah, we still we still come up with new stuff and, and throw it into the show and try it for a while yeah. and then, you know, move on to something else. Okay. I was just curious if there was ever a, a plan or a thought to putting some of those out in a new album. You know? Yeah, you know, we've we've talked about possibly, you know, doing a uh, a new live uh, album, you oh, know, and incorporate all of the new the, the new stuff with the old stuff, you know, and uh, and do a kind of a blend of a, a thing like that. But it, it's it's very financially, it just um, yeah. it's very difficult to make sense anymore because uh, you know all of the everything is given away anymore. Yeah. And it's not uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so not true. so advantageous. Um, yeah. You mentioning finances that going back to the early days of Grand Funk, that was a real issue for you guys. I mean, if if anyone wants to go back and remember and watch the behind the music episode of Grand Funk Railroad, uh, the money issues are pretty big there for a while in the seventies. I assume everything's good now, but was there ever kind of a lean time? I mean, you mentioned the band sort of coming to an end in the early eighties. Yes, you got on the Bob Seger tour, and you know now you guys are back in full flourish and everything. But were there ever sort of lean days where it wasn't? Have you always been able to make a living in music? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, yeah, pretty much, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. and there were the times that I wasn't involved in touring, uh, you know. Those times were still good as far as royalties are concerned, you know, because there were yeah. still there were still hard physical product being sold. You know, I mean, yeah. there, anymore there's really not much physical product. Everything is downloads, you know, and the 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 decimal point has moved, you know, substantially uh, yeah. to the left uh, on, on any, you know. So yeah, I mean, but you know, luckily, I mean, as you see all of these bands uh, out touring, you know, and you you name it. 
they're out touring, you know, uh, and the reason a lot of them are out, out touring is because that's where the royalties are now. You yeah, know, you yeah. you play, you have to go out and play your music, and then you get paid. Yeah. Uh, you don't get it anymore, uh, you know, from from you know physical product because there is no physical product physical product being sold. Yeah. You know, so uh, and uh, no, we, we were we were very fortunate to be able to continue ha- living, you know, pretty good lives. You know, yeah. um, all all of these years, just you know, on our stream of royalties and. Uh, um, you know, and, and we're very fortunate now to be able to continue uh, playing live too. Yeah, for sure. Is it difficult? I mean, you're in your 70s. Do you ever think I'd just like to sit? <laughs> you, you live in Florida. I just want to go play golf. I mean, I'm sure you get to play a lot of golf, but you know, you know or tried, is it like this is I not tried, a bad thing? I tried gig. not working. I tried not working for a while, and I don't know if you've ever tried not working for <laughs> uh, you know, say a year or two. Uh, it, it's pretty boring. Yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, you know, I'd much rather do it this way. I, I, I'll keep, I'll keep going until I can, uh, really. And, uh, and it, you know, no, it's not as easy as it used to be, but I still love to get on a stage. Good. Uh, and now, and now we get on a stage in front of, uh, many generations of people that know our songs, you know, which, which yeah. is just a thrill to me to, to see kids and grandkids and, and parents and grandparents all singing along to some kind of wonderful and you know i'm your captain close at home and american yeah. band and uh you know it, there's no there's nothing like that yeah. i don't like the travel so much but we don't get on buses and uh, go for 150 shows a year like some of oh, these guys do okay. we just we just fly every place and uh, we do about 40 to 45 shows a year and it's mostly weekends and so we're yeah. home most of the time you know That's so it's, it's okay yeah, yeah that sounds like a nice life um, it is. Okay, I. What's your favorite? If if it were all to end, what part of being a rock star would you miss the most? You talk about not working for a year or two, and the reason I. So let me let me preface this. So a couple years ago, I talked to Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull. In fact, Annie Layton, your publicist, helped set that yeah. up too. And uh, I asked him that question, and he said, "You know, my favorite thing is at the end of a show, I go back to my hotel, I take off all my clothes, and I." drink a beer naked and watch the news. And that's his favorite thing. <laughs> and, and I just thought... What a, what a, what a picture. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I just thought, that's the best. That's that. Those are the spoils of success that people would just miss, you know, on a day. Yeah. What, what yeah. would be your thing? You don't have to say... Well, you know, you know I got right to... As, as I just said, you know, I, I think... I think the the biggest thrill I get is to be out on stage and and, and see all of these pa- these faces light up uh, when and and when they recognize the songs and they uh, and they get on their feet and they're they're having a great time and I think I I would I will miss that the most when that's right. done is that uh, I, I you know I guess it's the ham in me that uh, that loves to be up there uh, watching you know ha- having an effect on uh, on people. You know, and uh, I, I will certainly miss that. That's, you know, I, I certainly won't miss getting on another Delta Airlines flight. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I can imagine that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then tell me, tell me what was the best part about being one of the biggest bands in the 70s? Back in oh, the glory God, days, yeah. tell me what your favorite thing was. You know, I mean, I got to, you know, I got to say it was uh, probably one of the biggest thrills I had was going into New York City. And seeing uh, our faces, our three faces, up on uh, the, the Times Square billboard, you know, that was a whole block long billboard. That was one of my favorite uh, things. It was it was really kind of like you know, holy shit, yeah, we did it, yeah. you know, yeah. we we did it, you know. And I can I can remember you know standing there, I, I you know looking at it, you know, going, you know, we're just this band from Flint, Michigan, you know, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, that Rolling Stone that Rolling Stone, you know, magazine hates. And, uh, and there, and there we are, uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of like the ultimate, you know, uh, you know, given, given the world the finger, you know, yeah, it kind of is. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I wanted to ask you specifically about some of your albums. Let's start with the bad one first. Born to die. I actually love born to die. I like that okay. album a lot. But that's the one that people see as like, oh, that's their low point. When you were, do yeah. you feel that? Was it was it considered a low point when it came out? Were you frustrated by it? Yeah, I was frustrated with it. it was, really? I, you know, it, it was a, it, it was difficult to make. It was difficult to you know to be with the band at that point. And uh, 
uh, it was a very difficult time period for us, and 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 we and we had kind of put the stamp on it that this was the end. I mean, that was the whole point. That was the whole mm-hmm. point with you know taking pictures in coffins and uh, yeah, uh, and, you know, we're, and born to die, and you know the the whole the whole concept. It was mm-hmm. very depressing. I you know I think there was there was some stuff on that record that had merit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love dudes. You know, That's one of my favorite yeah. funk songs. But, you know, I wrote, I wrote the song around, uh, about the fact that Capitol Records was basically yeah. uh, for, forcing us to record another album. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> and that's, I, that's, where, that's, where, that's where the idea for dues came up. You know, can I we ever it. stop paying dues, you know? Yeah, It's like, yeah. you know, well, haven't, haven't we given you guys enough? You know, no, we've got to give you one more record, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, I know the subject matter sucks, but that song rocks. I like that song a lot. Um, now, this is something I've always wondered, and I, I've always wanted to ask. I've done 250 of these, and I've always wanted to ask someone this question, and I haven't had a chance. What is it like when you have to go out and promote an album that your heart is not 100% in? Is that a challenge at all, or do you, are you just going with the flow? You know, we didn't. We never really, you know, really had to do that. I, you know, okay. I mean, we got to the end of it, you know... Uh, Actually, we we pulled we pulled the plug on the uh, after good singing good plan. We we were supposed to go on a on a tour after that, and that and that's why MCA because we had switched from Capital at that point to MCA, and we enlisted Frank Zappa to come in and and, and be the producer. And I thought we made a great record. Okay. I really did like that record, uh, and I loved working with Frank. Um, and uh, and the band was just in such bad straits that we could not go on the road. And we told MCA, you know, we're not uh, we're not going to tour. And they pulled the plug on all the advertising and uh, all the promotion and so forth and so on. So so the record really never you know went anywhere. So it, that that was too bad, you know, because yeah. I I thought that that uh, uh, that was uh, you know that but that that was truly the end of, uh, of the band as we knew it at that point. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. But um, I really like. Well, Don't you know, t- if you get a, if you get a chance, you can pay. You can play one of my favorite songs off of that record, uh, off of Good yes. Singing, Good Plan. It, it was Pass It Around. I I I love yes. I love that song. wrote that song together and it just had such a, a, a cruisy kind of a you know yes. get, get in the car and take off and go go for a drive in the country feel to it you know that's what yeah. it was to me i'm yeah. so glad you said that because that was going to be my question yeah that that um i like that song in fact like you i like that whole album what was it like working with frank zappa on that one 
I loved working with Frank. I mean, we flew him out to to our little studio out in uh, Parshallville, Michigan, and uh, and and he, you know, he he just he loved the the whole concept of working with Grand Funk, which totally shocked us. Uh, right. You know, uh, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you the story about uh, you know we were we were again we were getting into this time period. We were looking for another you know to make another record, go to MCA, and uh, Craig Frost and I. Uh, you know, we're, we're free one night and we, we noticed that, uh, 2000 motels, the Frank Zappa movie was playing at the, at the theater, you know, and uh-huh. so I, you know, and so I said, let's go, let's go see, you know, Frank's, you know, Frank Zappa's 2000 motels, you know, cause we were Frank, you know, Zappa fans yeah. and we were sitting there and we're watching it and Frank Zappa in the movie takes a slap at Grand Funk Railroad. He's got this little toy train on, you know, running around, you know, and he, and he, and he makes a sideways thing, you know, Oh, you mean like. Grand Funk Railroad, you know, and I turned to Craig and I said, let's get Frank to produce the next record, you know, and it was, I mean, just because, just because yeah. he just took a slap at us, you know, so we, uh, we had our manager call his manager and lo and behold, he said, yeah, I would love to produce Grand Funk Railroad. That is great. Yeah, no it's great. You know, so, yes, absolutely. So, uh, so we flew him out, like I said, and you know, and we hit it off and, uh, you know, he was, he was just, a, you know, he was just like, we, we thought he would be this weird, you know, yeah. uh, weird scientist kind of guy, you know, and yeah. he, he just wasn't, he was just a regular guy, you know, I and agree. he loved working, he loved working with the band. Uh, he named that record, you know, he, uh, we said, you know, Frank, really? what do you think we should name the record? He said, call it what it is. It's good singing, good playing, you know? <laughs> <That's So. great. laughs> yeah. I love, I like that album a lot too. And, uh, it's, you know, you go in expecting to hear some weird, crazy Zappa looniness, yeah. but you don't. He's yeah. fairly restrained. You, can, I can He's kind of hear a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he did. He, you know, you know, he crammed. He crammed on a lot of uh, a lot of limiting on it. You know, and there were a few songs where he would lend. You know, we would be working on the harmonies, and we were basic. You know, one, two, three part harmony kind of guys. You know, and he would go, no, no, no. You know. This note, put this note in there, and it was some yeah. weird, you know, sixteenth, you know, off the, you know, off the cut. I mean, so yeah, he, yeah. he put in some stuff on it, you know, and yeah. and I loved getting him to play on it, you know, too. That was cool, you know. Yeah, so definitely. Got him to play. He that album was great. Let's talk about we're an American band because um, Todd Rundgren, the the legion, the legend of Tom is just huge. The cult people love that guy. How, what was it like? I have some questions specifically about Todd for you from some of my listeners. What was it like working with Todd? Well, I loved it. You know, I mean, there's, there's really, you know, kind of, uh, there's love stories and hate stories about Todd. You know, I mean, yeah. a lot of people just couldn't stand working with him. And I could see why, uh, because he's very aloof, you know, and he's very much, you know, about, you know, into himself and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But I loved working with Todd because he threw all of the old school uh, recording techniques out the window. You know, you did, mm-hmm. you, you didn't, you don't have to record everything flat and dry and no echo and no EQ and all that was the old school stuff, which we were so used to right. working with, uh, uh, Cleveland recording and, uh, and, uh, Terry Knight and all of it. You know, it was every, everything was old school. So when you're playing in the, in the studio, uh, playing these songs and you're listening in the headphones, everything is just, sounds like shit it's just dry yeah. and there's no echo there's no eq there's no, and everything is going to get added later so you kind of have to imagine what it's going to sound like later well todd does everything just the way it, he puts it on tape the way it's going to sound you know mm. so when we got in with todd it was like oh my god my drums sound unbelievable in yeah. the headphones you know so so of course i played a whole different way because yeah. everything sounded so good you know i didn't have to imagine what it was going to sound like later and, you know, so I, I, I loved it. And I thought he was, he was pretty much hands off as far as a producer is concerned. You know, he would just sit there and read a book, you know, and, and we're out there, you know, uh, going, you know, take, you know, running, running the song down once, running the song down again, you know, and he'd uh-huh. throw in a couple of ideas and, uh, and then, and then he'd go, well, you ready? <laughs> you know, okay. You know? And then he, then he, then he pushed, you know, and then he pushed, you know, record, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, I loved it, you know, I mean, yeah. and it was, it was kind of like, you know, it wasn't like we never got to take 35, you know, uh-huh. everything was done like in the matter of, you know, four or five takes, you know, and, and anything that couldn't, that wasn't right, you'd fix it. And, and I hate those kind of, those records where, 
you you know you get up to take 55 you know uh-huh. and it's like oh my god i can't play this song again you know it's yeah. just yeah yeah right. yeah okay uh one of my former guests is a producer songwriter named phil thornally and his mentor was alex sadkin who i believe was an assistant to todd on the recording of we're an american band yeah and yeah could be Okay, so Alex had told Phil, and Phil told me, that uh, when it came to recording the hit, Todd was sort of being a brat. That he would be just sort of reading comics, eating lollipops, acting really disinterested (laughs) as the band recorded the backing track. But then Todd spent hours trying to get the right cowbell sound. Does this sound about right for Todd? Eh, Not really. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I was just curious. No, I never, I never, I never saw Todd spend hours doing, you know, much of anything, you know, uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it, everything was pretty quick with him, that, which is what okay. I loved about him. For that album, it, you know, legend has it that he sort of decided to bring you more into the forefront, let you do some singing, uh, kind of showcase some of your, your drumming more than it had been. Was that true? That had to have been good well, for your think, ego. I don't think is. that was a decision. I don't think it was a decision on Todd's behalf. It was. It was. Mm. Uh, you know, we were, we were going through a terrible time with Terry Knight at that time. We were yeah. we had been sued, you know, and uh, uh, we were there was all these lawsuits going on about the name, uh, and every city we were playing in, we were being sued, you know, and we went into Nashville and recorded an album on our own called Phoenix. And we tried to produce it and we realized, you know, we're not producers, you know, and, and that, and, and again, that was old school, you know, going into Nashville, it was very old school. So we, when we enlisted Todd, it was kind of like, you know, let, let's take a, 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 a new, a fresh look at this. We needed to come up with hit records. We had to, uh, FM radio had changed from being FM underground. You had to make hit records. And so we looked for a guy that was, good at making that transition you know and todd had you know several you know a couple of a couple of albums out at that time that were huge on the on the radio you know and we yeah. loved the way it sounded and lynn goldsmith was our yeah. publicist at the time and she knew todd and so she introduced us to todd and uh, my you know my feeling at that time was uh, i'm going to start, start getting involved here because you know we need to come up with hit records you know mark 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 was our sole, you know, our, our main songwriter, you know, for the first six uh, albums. And they, they was great for FM Underground. But he, you know, he wasn't uh, necessarily a, 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 an FM hit record kind of maker, yeah. you know. So right. I, I figured I'd start taking a stab at it, you know. And our approach was always, you know, the guy to bring the song in, the guy that would, would be best the guy to sing it. So I, brought, yeah. I started bringing in more songs. So of course I was singing more, you know, mm-hmm. and cool. yeah, and yeah, Todd, Todd's, uh, Todd's drum sound was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was, I was featured just simply because the drum sound he, you know, he made uh, was terrific. You know, that's, okay. that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. One of my favorite songs on that album is "Stop Looking Back," and it ends yeah. with an epic guitar or a sorry drum solo from you. Drum thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, I it, love it, that. Yeah, To me, it's a great record. I, I, I yes, think that's, a, that's 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 one of the uh, uh, one of the all time great rock uh, pop rock records. Yeah, I think you know. It is another great song on there is uh, the railroad. I think that's a yes. that's a terrific song. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was. Um...
one of my other listeners, Brad Page. Well, first of all, I should say that that's when I start getting more excited about Grand Funk myself, too, is when it's, when the pop element starts becoming a little uh, more interwoven with the rock element. Pretty much from yeah. We're an American Band on, I love all those albums, you know? Like I no, said, and that, and to die. That, and that's the stuff that a lot of the, the Grand Funk, the, the hardcore, you know, the, the, the ones that came up on the trio, uh, uh, had a hard time understanding why yeah. are they doing this? <laughs> you yeah. know, well, uh, and it was sink or swim. You know, we yeah. had, we had to get off, we had to shit or get off the pot if we were going to make it, and uh, and that meant making hit records. Uh, and uh, and I thought we did a pretty good job of it. We made that transition, and, and again, uh, uh, you know, we were able to give Terry Knight the finger, you know, on that one, and uh, and and say, you know, uh, well, okay, so you ripped us off for for all of those <laughs> the first six albums, and uh, the rest is ours. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. No better uh, redemption than that. So one of yeah. my listeners, Brad Page, he mentioned, um, is it true that uh, Todd and Albert Grossman managed to secure the largest advance for a record producer ever for Todd for that album? You know, it could be. I don't know what he got. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that was in his book. No. That was in Todd's book, yeah. so I wondered if that was. Yeah, well, uh, you, you can't you can't believe everything you you know everything you yeah. see or read or anything else, you know. But uh, yeah, I I have no idea. You know, I I do know that uh, um, uh, quite quite a few years later, you know, they they were uh, Todd and his whoever his, his new manager was at the time were were looking to find uh, the original contract, and uh, and I didn't have a copy of it, so I don't I don't know whatever happened with that. <laughs> okay okay just curious yeah. mm-hmm. and then is it true mm-hmm. that you from the time you recorded american mm-hmm. band to where it when it came out was 10 days it was pretty close yeah i mean uh capital was was chomping at the bit to get this record out in in the summer and uh and you know and they wanted us on the road by the fall uh and one of those kind of things you know and they it was like they heard that and they went you know it, it, let's put it out now <laughs> yeah. yeah, they had a window. They had a window. It was, you know, back then they had release windows. You know, you, and if you missed your release win, window, you would the whole thing would be postponed for six months or you know a year or whatever it was. You know, and the, the window was coming up pretty quickly, and they and they knew that that was going to be the song. So yes, it, it 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 was it was done, mastered, and uh, and given to them before the album was done. Actually. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, the sing the single was given to them and and uh, set for release before the album was ever done. Yeah, you um, you mentioned the railroad. Another little bit of trivia I found out is that is it true that Todd had you guys actually bang pieces of metal in the studio to get like a hard labor sound? <laughs> yeah, to make the make the sound of uh, you know crank, clanking the, uh, the the nails into the into the rails. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, just that's what Todd's about is little weird out of the box ideas like sure. that that sort of live in the sure. process, I guess. OK. OK. Um, you know, Todd also loved Todd, Todd also loved to burn uh, back then. It's called burning, burning the tape. You know, he would he would make everything so hot huh. on the that it, that it would actually bleed through the tape. And so you you would hear an echo uh, from, you know, from something that happened pre- earlier in the song, you would hear it later in the song, you know, but yeah. he, he was notorious for that because he, he just loved getting that sound of yeah. the over, oversaturated, you know, it would just oversaturate the tape, but it, it created a sound, you know, yeah. the only, and yeah. the only, it was the only way you could do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Um, why do you think you guys were so good at covers? Some kind of wonderful locomotion. There's lots of others. What, how did you choose the covers that you did? Why? Why were you so good at them? What was the thinking or philosophy behind the? It was, it, well, it was, you know, it was kind of happenstance. You know, and we need we needed extra songs. That's what. That's uh-huh. why we were always looking li- looking for something. It was like, okay, well, I don't think we got quite the one we want. You know, and uh-huh. then we were good at we were good at picking. You know, I mean, it was like um, uh, the shine uh, shining on record. We were we were coming out of uh, we're an American band. We had had uh, we're an American band and walk like a man, which were both. A top 40 hits uh we were working on the shining on record and uh shining on was you know was was gonna probably be the, uh, a single but we felt like we need another one you know we need one we need another song so we don't we don't have one internally uh i didn't have a, another song mark didn't have another song so it was like well what what, what about something outside you know and we yeah. took a break one night uh at our studio 
And Mark went home across the road. He had a farm across the road that he went. He went home for dinner, and we and the rest of us sent out for McDonald's or something. Uh-huh. And Mark came. And Mark came back, you know, after dinner, and he walked in singing, "Everybody's doing a brand dance now." And you know, we all cracked up. It was like <laughs> that. That's so silly. You know, maybe maybe it would work. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It, and so so we you know, and Todd of course loved the idea. Uh, of doing, you know, the Grand Funk Railroad doing the locomotion. Uh-huh. And uh, and so we got the lyrics and uh, went into the studio. And the, the approach was was to kind of go after f- what the Beach Boys did with Barbara Ann and, sound, uh-huh. and make it sound like a big studio uh, party going on. Make yeah. it sound like there's a party going on in the studio. So that's what that was the approach. And Todd, you know, and Todd nailed it on uh, on getting the sound on that song. You know, I thought he did, yeah. he did a terrific job. But that's where that one came from. Again, we were we were working on God. Was it all the girls in the world? Was it some kind of wonderful wisdom? I think it was. I all think the it girls was, in the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we were we were we were trying to come up with something else. And while we were on the road, we used to you know get in the get in the car and on the car on the way from the hotel to the venue, we would start this acapella thing in the car. You know, I don't need a whole lot of money. I don't yeah. need, and we would do the whole song a cappella in the car. And our manager at the time, Andy Cavalieri, said, "Man, you guys should record that song." And I said, "That sounds terrific, you know." And so uh, we got the Soul Brother Six version of it. You know, we, yeah. we grew up in Flint, uh, listening to WAMM Wham Radio, which is a black station. Uh, it, uh, it pl- they played all the gospel and the black stuff, and and they used to play the Soul Brother Six version of it in the sixties. You know, and yeah. that's where. We heard the song first, and so later on, uh, as, as we're you know doing the, this acapella stuff, uh, we decided, well, we'll we'll, you know, we'll record it. Very, very similar to what the Soul Brother Six did, you know, with just the just bass and drums and vocals up until the the middle of the song where the Hammond B three comes in. Yeah. You know, and can I can I get a witness? And then it's Hammond B three, uh, you know, and bass and, and drums and vocals out. No guitar, no piano, no nothing. That's that's right. all it is. And and that 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 was the original arrangement too. So. 
Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I wanted to ask you too, uh, going kind of down a different road. You guys put out like 13 albums in seven years. And uh, I had Stu Cook from CCR on here. And they were at a similar kind of pace. Two, sometimes three albums a year. How? Who's dictating this pace? Is that... The record are, company. Really? They were just <laughs> demanding that? Well, that's what you said. We signed... Those were those contracts at that time. Really? You know, that's what they demanded. When, you know, you signed on with Capitol Records uh, uh, to give them two albums and two tours to support each album a year. You know, so... Uh -huh. So you would go into the studio, you'd record an album, and, and literally, it was, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, albums didn't take years to record back then. Albums uh -huh. were done in a, in a week, you know. It was uh -huh. like a, a two, or, two or three days doing the tracks, two, two days doing the, uh, the overdubs, a day mixing, it was done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh -huh. uh, you know, you, you would, and you would prep. Maybe you would rehearse for, you know, a month or a few weeks uh, coming up with the material you were going to do, uh, and you'd rehearse it and get it down to the point where you you'd go into the studio and you wouldn't have to spend that many you know that many takes doing the, the stuff in the studio. And of course, you left mistakes and everything. Uh, yeah. You know, back then you you just you had a budget, you know, and you had to yeah. stick to the budget. And then you'd get out, you you'd finish the record, and you'd take a couple of weeks off, and you'd go in the studio and and rehearse uh, what your your show was going to be, and you'd hit the road and and you know do forty cities in forty days. That's yeah. <laughs> that's what it yeah. was. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but you mentioned how quickly an album can be banged out, but the writing can't be that easy. I mean, you're a good Mark is doing most of the songwriter, but songwriting, but you're in there too. I mean, that can't be easy to have to churn out hit after hit every few months. You know? Well, yeah, but, but you know that's that was kind of uh, it was kind of the way it was done. You know, and yeah. and you just uh, you just you would just say, okay, today we need to come up with another song. Okay, we tomorrow we got rehearsal. We got we need to come up with another song. You know, it's like mm -hmm. uh, you, you just you know you just start cranking them out, yeah. and and you get and then you get in there and you jam. You know, and and you come up with arrangements so everybody gets a. a figures out what part they're going to play and yeah. uh, how is the song going to go? Is it going to go intro, uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, how, you know, how you come up with the arrangement. I mean, you just do it, you know, yeah, that we, yeah. it's, uh, it, it's, that's what you do. Yeah. It's a real assembly line mentality. And you guys being from Michigan, maybe that comes naturally. I don't know, but well, you know, that, that, that's how I was done though. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't until the eighties or even the late seventies that bands were, that got the upper hand on the record companies and they said, no, we're not going to give you two records a year. We're yeah. going to, it may take us two years to do a record, you know, yeah. so you're going to wait, you're going to, we're going to sign with you and you're not going to get the record until it's done. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I want to hear some stories when you, I mean, 50, <laughs> 50 years, you could, they could be, they can be, I'm not talking about dirty stories unless you want to tell those, but I'm just, it's been 50 years. What are some of the, the things that have happened to you that you've seen or experienced that you just cannot believe? I can't, I'm a guy well, yeah. from Flint and I met so-and-so or I played well, in front of so-and-so. Yeah, not so much of that. You know, I mean, I, I do remember, you know, uh, running into Mick Jagger, running into Keith Richard, running into, you know, this guy, running into, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but those aren't my, you know, big memories. I think, yeah. you know, most of my big uh, big memories of uh, uh, some of the stuff was like, why the hell did we ever get on that airplane? You know, it was uh -huh. like we, we, ch we, would chart, we would charter these airplanes, you know, uh, and, uh, and get on them and put all of our equipment on these things. They were, it was, it was a it was an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, you know, and you get up in the air and you knew the pilots, you know, and the pilots were doing crazy shit up in the air with uh -huh. the, the band, you know, and, and putting us up into, you know, suspended, uh, you know, so we were floating, you know, basically in, in the airplanes and, uh, and smoking pot on the, uh -huh. on the planes, you know, and watching an engine catch fire as we're flying over oh, the Rocky gosh. mountains, you know, and we have to sit down and, <clears throat> and get a different airplane because that, that one, uh, that one blew an engine as we're going. I mean, those, those are the stories uh, I remember. And, uh, and I do remember, you know, uh, one night that uh, we were, we had chartered a, a Learjet from, it must've been Providence, Rhode Island or Boston or someplace like that going down to New York city. And it was just absolutely a beautiful, clear night. Mm -hmm. Just, you could see every star in the sky and we were up there at 40,000 feet and we hit uh, clear air turbulence. And, uh, 
uh, and it's it was it was just like the Jolly Green Giant took the tail of that airplane oh. and picked it up and cracked it on the sidewalk. You know, and it was just like bam, bam, yeah. bam. We were just <clears throat> we were flipping out. Uh, we were we turned oh, ghost white. The pilot, uh, the co-pilot came back with a flashlight, and he's looking out the window and uh, examining the wings to make sure there wasn't a crack in the wing. And uh, and we set down uh, the airplane uh, as quickly as possible. But it was it was you know pure death. You know yeah. that that was a scary yeah. a scary oh situation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. You mentioned uh, getting and forgive me if this is too personal. Were drugs ever a problem for you? Not for me. Uh, necessarily, okay. and, and really not so much for the band. I mean, you know, there were there were a lot of pot smokers in the band. <clears throat> I wasn't, I wasn't, I I would I would partake, but I wasn't a heavy pothead. <clears throat> but some of the guys were potheads, and uh, so there there was that. Uh, we yeah. were kind of fortunate not to move off to New York and Los Angeles. We stayed in Michigan, so we didn't get caught up in that big drug thing, you know. Because yeah. I I do remember times being in New York and and L.A. and going to parties and seeing things going on that was like, you know, I, I got to get out of here. This is, uh, yeah. this is beyond my, uh, my comprehension. I don't, I don't feel right about it. You know? So, yeah, yeah I mean, we, we kind of stayed away from it. Uh, you know, and, okay. and yes, we did get involved in cocaine and that kind of stuff in the, in the disco days. And, sure. uh, um, but, uh, you know, luckily we made it through it. <clears throat> Good. Okay. Good. Uh, just curious. Now, I I got to ask, even though um, I think I know what the answer is, but you guys and Mark are doing your own thing, and it's going to most likely stay that way from here on out, I'm guessing. <laughs> you know, um, I don't want to dwell on it, because I know you get asked it a lot, yeah, and, um, yeah, and I love it, Max, it, so that's not a knock on At this Max. point, we've got, uh, we, we've got even more uh, litigation going on, and I can't oh, talk boy. about it. And, okay. uh uh, but but it doesn't make it any uh, it, it doesn't make it more likely that we'll get back together. <laughs> yeah, okay, that makes the, a lot the, fact sense. That we, the fact that we have <laughs> the fact that we have even more litigation going on doesn't make it more likely that we're going to get together. Right? Yeah, 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 that's perfectly said. Okay, okay. Well, um, uh, thanks. I, I know that's the hard question, but I really like that answer. I appreciate you. It's too bad, me. you know. I, I got really I, I got to say, I, I, it's a it's a shame. Uh, yeah. You know, and and I know that Mark feels, you know, completely the opposite of what Mel and I feel uh, about, you know, what caused this. Uh, yeah. But you look at the if you look at the history of the band going back to uh, the first time it broke up and then the second time it broke up uh, and the third time it broke up, uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't on Mel and I's uh, side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you read and I don't want to get into it. Anyone who really doesn't already know this story can go look for it themselves. But there's a it does seem like a tricky situation who left and who signed what. But um, it's just unfortunate that bands that we love are in this situation. And for you guys, too. I mean, you should be you're in the glory days of your life. It's the end, you know, not the end of your, I'm. That's it. I, I, I hope you don't die or anything, Don. But I just mean, you know, these are the days where you, <laughs> these are this should be the period of time where you ride off into the sunset on the success tour. You know, we've been doing yeah. it for fifty oh, years. You don't want to be wrapped up in litigation. You know, but, but, you know, but let's but let's be realistic about it. You know, how many bands uh, can you name out there no. have all the original members? No, you know? hardly any. <laughs> hardly. There you go. Aerosmith and, 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 and some of them. Yeah. And some of them have even gone to the point of none. They have yeah. none of the original members. I yet. know. Yeah. <laughs> Foreigners out there like that. So anyway. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for talking with me, Don. You guys are great. You're welcome, and Don. I'm so, I hope that, I know you've done a million interviews in your life. I hope we covered some different things in this one. But uh, I just really love and respect that you got, that you took the time to talk to me. Thank you so much. No, it's good. You know, it, it brings back a lot of memories. I, uh, I got to say, you know, so I appreciate sure. it. And uh, thank you very much. There you have it, Don Brewer. Hope you guys like that. Did you know that he is the only member of Grand Funk that has been there all along? Every iteration of Grand Funk included Don Brewer. Isn't that interesting? I didn't realize that until after we talked. Anyway, I wish those guys the best, and I hope they come through Denver. It sounds like they might, because I really want to shake Max's hand, and Don's for that matter. Anyway, I've never seen him live. Always wanted to. Uh, now, next week, we're going to be hearing from one of those kind of session guitarists. Now, I called him that, and he bristled at it a little bit. He's probably a little bit more of a collaborator, but he's one of those guys, kind of like Tim Pierce, that played on tons and tons of music. 
He was a member of, I guess you would kind of consider them a supergroup in the 80s. One of the strangest supergroups ever, though. And uh, they had, he co-wrote their biggest hit, which is one of the biggest probably novelty songs of the 80s. I hate to call it that, but it's kind of what it is. Anyway, it all will become clear when you hear our conversation next week. So we get into that stuff and, you know, a lot of his session work. Those conversations are always a lot of fun. Uh, huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for all that you do. Thanks, buddy, for everything. Uh, we have a recap coming out later this week that you guys should all enjoy, hopefully. We brought Andy Shaw and Paul Underwood on for that one since they're practically members of the family at this point. And uh, i got to say a thank you to Annie Layton who helps set this uh, interview up. She's done others with us, and we're really grateful for her and what she does for us. Thank you, Annie, if you're listening. Uh, you guys know how to find us by now. You can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. Uh, we do a lot of activity on Facebook, so if you want to interact with us, that's really the best place. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you, and happy 4th of July.